Episode of the Midnight Narwhal Podcast. My name is Andy, and I'm not laughing at anything. Nope. I'm. My name is James, and I'm not laughing. <laughs> I, I'm gonna get through it. <laughs> my name is James, and I'm. I am laughing at something. Something that was said before we hit record. That will just be a little secret inside joke between me and Andy. I think this is going to be my new thing is every time before I hit record, see whatever I can do to make you laugh and then immediately jump into the introduction. I like this. No, but yeah, I mean, sure. Why not? I just feel like it sets the stage for the rest of the episode. Like, yes, this is a fun place. This is a fun place. This is a very fun place. I don't know why I feel the need to bring this up. Probably because it was the last thing I saw before I turned my phone off. Okay. Um, uh, so Tom Brady unretired after did, two yes. months. And the last thing I saw before I turned my phone off was a news article that said a fan purchased his last touched football uh, for half a million dollars out two weeks ago in, at auction that is now worthless, essentially, because he is back in play. Yikes. This isn't a news podcast, and I'm not trying to like take this over, but I just felt like that was funny and also really sad for that guy. Well, hopefully listening to this podcast will not be as big of a waste as that guy buying that football. Yeah, hopefully not. Because, ouch, mm. that's that's really bad. I feel bad for that guy. <laughs> that is really bad. Speaking of really bad is the information provided in Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, that mm. was published in 1904. Beautiful segue. Beautiful Wasn't that segue. great? Wasn't Powerful. that great? powerful book too that was we've talked about that before on this podcast we have mentioned the jungle it's one of the most influential pieces of american literature that's ever been produced mm-hmm. um, especially that something that led to vast change in the whole framework and tapestry of how america does things the jungle is probably the most influential thing that's ever been written that actually deals with all of that stuff mm-hmm. oh i'm not saying my sources i should jump in and say that real fast you should say it's the same sources. ones as the previous two episodes blah 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 atavis.com a few random podcasts that once again i didn't write down so oops and the big w wikipedia the big w yep so there you go. There's a couple others that I listed in the very first episode of all this that I'm I'm later on my manuscript. I'm not going all the way up to see it. So if you want to know more, listen to the Frederick Burnham episode. And at the very beginning, you'll hear more. So there you go. There, I'm done with that. So anyways, back to The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. If you don't know what that is, and I know that you, James, do. I'm but maybe, maybe someone who's listening doesn't know about it. Uh, really what it did is it was, it was writing that exposed horrendous abuses in really meat factories and sort of the meat monopoly that was going on in the early 1900s in America. And so, for example, how, you know, sometimes workers would slip into tanks and then they were turned up together with all the scrap meat and were sold. Yeah. Um, for human consumption. Yep. Hey, those those bones and you know human bits that just adds to the flavor, really. That, I wouldn't know that turn of the century meat flavor. Yeah, just it's not good. It's not. It's not good. That's but, why we have child labor laws and OSHA. So yeah. people don't eat human meat. 
Yeah. Certainly a big part of it. I mean, it really led to like FDA coming to an existence or ha- at least to having actual authority over things, which, you know, maybe not always a great thing, but certainly having them to stop people selling meat at, that has humans from human bits in it from literally the workers. That's a positive thing. But anyways, I, I talk about the jungle because we are still talking about the meat crisis and the meat question, uh, which was a big thing going on in America at this time, first decade of the 1900s. And we ended the last episode in 1910, talking about a congressional committee that was listening to experts, I'm using quotation marks, experts about meat and ways to fix it. And of course, the solution was, do you remember or propose solution. Oh yeah. Um, let's get a bunch of hippos, right? Hippos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the ones. Yeah. And bring them over here and essentially not domesticate them, but use them like we would use cattle. So raise them in farms in some of the more Southern tepid climates of the United mm-hmm. States where they would thrive. Yeah. Farm them for meat. Nailed it. Yeah, which I am all for. I do remember being like, this makes tons of sense. I don't think I've ever seen you as excited as you were last during our last recording. Seriously. And the more, you know, I live in the country. I see cattle every day. And there's like a joke that I saw a few years ago online. And it was like, you can't drive past a field of cows without saying, hey, cows. Well, you can if that's literally all you're driving past for most of your commute. Because <laughs> you can't just always say cows, but you do still see them. They are everywhere. And if we did this with hippos, they wouldn't. I, I don't think I don't know if they're on the endangered species list. I would assume so. Basically, all those beautiful, majestic creatures in Africa are. So just bring them over here. Let them be like cows and then it be like, Hey, hippos to the point where there's too many of them and we just need to keep eating them. I think that would solve the endangered species problem. If we just ate them, like I'm, I'm all for it. So we need to eat all of the endangered species. Got it. I'm on, in a, I'm on board in a safe. I don't know if safe is the efficient maybe is the right word way. Like, okay. I don't know. In a way that, that is. Harvest the meat in a way that sustains it. So anyways, there was a congressional hearing um, talking about importing African animals into the United States to live so we can utilize them for meat and eating. And this hearing was followed by a gigantic surge of excited publicity. So one newspaper headline read hippopotami for Dixie. Because really the plan was you're going to bring these hippos down into Louisiana, into the bayous, the swamps, where there's plenty of water for them to live, but also they're going to eat all the hyacinth flowers. Yep. Um, and most newspapers that's covered this, which was also most newspapers, led their coverage with very splashy quotes from Fritz Duquesne, the Black Panther himself. Mm-hmm. The momentum was building and it felt nigh unstoppable. And according to many of the newspapers, and this is a quote from one of them, it was a question of only a very few years now when large shipments of hippos will be made to America. 
just everyone is thinking this is absolutely going to happen. However, because this was kind of the end of its session, it was very unlikely that Congress was going to be able to act on Congressman Broussard's appropriation bill before they broke for the end of their session, for the break. The congressmen, Frederick Burnham and Frist Duquesne, all really believe that if they put in the right legwork, a reintroduced version of the bill would just literally breeze through the next session. So the next time Congress meets, they'll reintroduce the bill, kind of reworked with some more specifics and make things a little bit more palatable to those other folks, probably adding some pork to it, not like actual, you know, pig pork but the pork that we add on to bills that ribs for everybody for for your consideration (laughs) hippo ribs are you kidding me hippo ribs that's the flintstone stuff there dude yeah like yeah and like in the in the like intro to the flintstones where they got that giant rack of ribs those place inside the car and the car flips over over. yes all day yes Mm. And so these three guys are like, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to just create a lobbying for, firm. So they, they became lobbyists, which is interesting since one of them is an actual congressman. And I feel like the congressman shouldn't be able to create his no, own yeah, lobbying that's, firm. That's, yeah, that's, that seems conflicting. A little bit. Uh, they call it the New Food Supply Society. So NFSS. And shortly after the hearing, Robert Broussard invited our boy Fritz and uh, Frederick Burnham down to his plantation in Louisiana to hash out some of the plants. It's important to point out that other than this hearing in front of Congress, it is unclear if the Black Panther and Frederick Burnham had ever had any contact ever. Okay. Like they were bitter adversaries in Africa. Mm -hmm. We know that they actually never ran into each other. They are both looking for each other. They both literally swore they were going to kill each other, but they never actually crossed paths. You know, it was really kind of like a rivalry, not like a hatred against each other. Okay. So it was more professional. Yeah. I mean, certainly we've heard a lot from Burnham. Now, I don't think I talked about it too much in his episode, but he had great respect for all that Fritz did. Like he really was in awe of his skills and abilities out there on the battlefield and his, the way he was able to disrupt things and just tear things down. And then of course, last episode, we learned that Fritz is actually kind of a maniac and just like yeah. kills everything that he can because he hates the British. Okay. Um, but Fritz talks about, he's like, he remembered that he once flipped coins. He, he, in his words, he said he tossed coins with another scout for the privilege of having the first shot at Burnham. Like, he's like, I want to be the one to take that guy down because he's their legendary scout. Boy, how cool would I be if I killed that dude? Okay, yeah, got it. The last things they knew about each other before the whole hippo thing was, I really want to kill him. And I know he really wants to kill me. That's their relationship, which really isn't much relationships. They were never around each other. As far as we know, the first time they actually meet is in Congress. And then right after that, they're invited to go hang out together at a plantation in Louisiana to talk about going into partnership together. Not only is this going to save the hippos from extinction, this is going to bring together two enemies and make them friends. There is nothing but support that I have to offer this idea. See, hippos bring people together. Mm -hmm. Also, probably delicious. I don't actually know. I'd wear a t-shirt that says that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hipp- hippos bring people together 
That's another one we'd sell in our merch store mm-hmm. if we had one. If we had one. So their partnership on the Hippopotamus Project finally gave them the opportunity to know one another at close range. So they fought at different sides when they were soldiers. And generally, I think part of the reason they were able to get along through this is that they're still kind of soldiers, part primitives deep down, and were probably much more comfortable with each, with each other than they were with all the politicians around them. And these three men spent a few years working together. And honestly, quite surprisingly, it sort of seems like Fritz did more of the actual legwork than either Frederick or the congressman. Broussard, he eventually lost interest because he shifted to trying to get a World's Fair to New Orleans. And Frederick was just, he hated dealing with politics because he felt like he's a savage at heart and he just he doesn't have, he's a real life sort of guy. Like, no, I need to be out doing stuff like sitting around talking does nothing. I hate this crap. Yeah. So he really wasn't into it. And eventually a few years down the road, obviously it hasn't been passed through Congress yet. The New York world published an article about the importation of African animals, but it credited the idea to someone named Charles Frederick Holder of California and Fritz lost it. It's his idea. He's, he says it's his idea. However, it's really more Frederick Burnham's idea. He's the one who wrote the article, kind of got everything started and going. But, you know, Fritz, he likes the, he likes being in the spotlight. And he I think he had just kind of convinced himself that it was his idea and that he's the one who really did it all. Now, yeah. he is the one who really was the showstopper in Congress and made the idea well known across America. But... He just, he's, I don't, I don't know exactly, exactly why he's irate. Cause it seems like he's genuinely furious. It's not just a show. He's actually mad. And so he sent copies of the article to both Frederick Burnham and Robert Broussard. And he demanded that the congressman issue some sort of universal correction to the press. Be like, no, 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 no. It's not this guy in California's idea. It's actually Fritz's idea. Mm-hmm. Broussard didn't do that. And something in Fritz Duquesne snapped it might have been in the beginning that he believed truly like burnham did that bringing hippos in was the right thing for america that the animal if it was brought over properly introduced properly taken care of properly would thrive which is what burnham really truly in his soul believed but by now it started becoming pretty clear that fritz was working primarily for the prosperity of his favorite transplanted african animal himself. So he wrote to, to Broussard. He said, it seems every day I hear of someone else, not Duquesne being the man who brought this matter before the people I'm working day in day out to keep this matter before the people and at some expense too. The thing was never heard of until in DC until I spoke to you, no one else, mind you, only Duquesne. So Fritz had been working somewhat tirelessly for a couple of years now and had cobbled together a small amount of notoriety and influence, he was determined not to let any of that go. So he branched off on his own, taking all of his considerable charm and entrepreneurial energy to stay in the limelight, but he ended up winding up spiraling into darkness instead, foreshadowing. At first, Fritz just, he took the hippopotamus idea and built on it. In the spring of 1911, he organized a series of banquets in Washington and New York as showcases for a potential animal importing venture he was considering just starting on his own. Is he like serving hippopotamus at this at these banquets? Like 
He served guests a menu of imported African springbok soup, Dick Dick, Hippo Croquettes. Okay, cool. Like so, yeah, he's he is serving yeah. hippo. He's like along right. with some African deer. Here's your here's your menu today. It's like one of those charity banquets, maybe where it's like uh-huh. a plate. A plate is like a grand, and it's gonna go exactly. Towards, okay, I mean that that's that's the way to do it. Like you gotta put the food into the mouths of the people get them to be like man this is delicious did they, did they not think it was delicious apparently not it didn't really go anywhere at all okay he raised some money but it didn't do a whole lot but after he did his dinners that didn't really go anywhere he came very close like very close just like a couple minor details away from pulling it off but he almost staged this ridiculous publicity stunt for an American matchstick maker. And the publicity stunt was Fritz would bring over a band of indigenous Peruvians and have them drive a herd of llamas across the Eastern United States from New York city to the company's headquarters in Ohio. (laughs) Okay. It never took off. In 1913, Fritz began planning another business venture. Theodore Roosevelt was organizing a follow-up to his African expedition. This one would be a daring journey to trace one of the Amazon's tributaries through the Brazilian jungle. Mm. So we're not going to Africa. We're going to South America, Brazil. Amazon. Fritz saw another chance to capitalize on the public's fascination with all things Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, that went so good for him last time. (laughs) And so he started talking to acquaintances and then acquaintances of acquaintances because he wasn't getting the money he wanted. But he was looking for money to produce Captain Fritz Duquesne's South American Expedition. Okay. This would be part movie, part lecture. And his plan was he would travel through the jungle with his wife, Alice, filming all the same sorts of things that Teddy Roosevelt would encounter. And then come back to America, show the footage on stage while standing on stage and narrating the footage because at that point there weren't talkies they were all silent films okay so he so <laughs> essentially like what it's the same like, thing he did before same thing he did before but also now it is important and i and i bring this up because i think it's a fun little story all of a sudden now he has a wife yeah i picked up on that yeah her name's alice mm-hmm. he first met alice while he was locked up in bermuda back then yeah okay. when he was in prison yeah She was the daughter of an American bureaucrat who was stationed there in Bermuda. Once again, this seems so movie trope-ish that I I keep looking through his story. I'm like, genuinely, people have written movie scripts from this guy's life. But he was resting under a tree, taking a break from his chain gang. So literally, he's chained together with other people, like breaking rocks or something. When a ball from Alice's tennis game rolled towards him, hit his foot, and that's how they met. Oh, like Hallmark movie. Hello. Yep. Wow. Okay. And she sees, oh, wow. This guy's in a chain gang, real stand up guy. You know, he's in jail, but he's out on work release. I can fix him. I can fix him. Well, but also he's ridiculously charming. Mm-hmm. He's fairly good looking. Yeah. Foreign. He's got that cool South, Af- South African accent. So real. Well, more clipped e- British accent. A, a real Elon Musk type is what is <laughs> sure something like that. Except you know, like handsome. Yeah. So that's how that's how he met his wife. The rest of the story is like it's not nearly as interesting. So we're not going to talk anymore just, about it. But yeah, so they got married. They got they married. got married. They got married. Yeah, good for them. His actual wife. Mm-hmm. 
And he did eventually find funding for his expedition. Nice. And this was from the Thanhauser Film Corporation and the Goodyear Tire Company. Oh, okay. They're still around. With Goodyear, he had agreed to do some rubber hunting in South America on the side. So he's like, yeah, I'm down there looking at the wildlife, but also looking for rubber. And so he agreed to deliver the finished film in time for the Panama Pacific International Expedition in San Francisco in 1915. Okay, so he's got two years. He bought 20,000 feet of film at $4 a foot. Whoa. Uh-huh. And he insured it before he left sailing out of New York City. I'd hope so. Yeah, that's a lot of money. It's $80,000, right? And then money. So that's at least a few million in today's money. Easy. Not one foot of the film was ever used. No. <laughs> no. World War I began shortly after they left New York City okay. in the summer of 1914. Okay, yeah. Now, some of these details are foggy because, of course, we had to remember that Fritz is not necessarily the most reliable of narrators. Mm -hmm. President Woodrow Wilson initially insisted that the United States remain neutral in World War I. Yeah. And that seems to have enraged the Black Panther. I'd hope so. He's a man of war. But Fritz's contempt for England was so strong that in his mind, no. the only responsible and logical response to the outbreak of this war was for America to team up with Germany no. and crush the British Empire. No. <laughs> I told you, you didn't see what was coming. Fritz. <laughs> To sum it up, he hated Britain so much that he would hate any nation that refused to also hate it. You know, he's probably like, yeah, these Americans, they hate the British. They beat them in war twice. Like they really suck it. Those, suck it, you know, and yeah, they got their problems. But yeah, they're not those like uptight pansy Brits across the pond. Oh, man. Oh, wait, World War. Oh, wow. America, they're going to see the display of strength. fight them again they're gonna see the display of strength of the german army and the bravery that they have they're gonna run in there and be like hey we got your back we totally support this oh well he's not pro-german he's just anti-britain okay so he's not like yeah my name is fritz so i sound like i'm german like yeah. no he's just if whoever's fighting the british he's on their side period Okay. He just hates the English. Still, that's a lot of hatred. That's so much hatred. That's a lot of hatred. Apparently, in one of the letters that he wrote to a friend at this time, he said, and I quote, there are no good Americans except the anti-English ones. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that sounds like, like, like a revolutionary war propaganda stuff. Like, uh -huh. like, that sounds like founding fathers. We need to get together. We need to, like, get people on our side. Get rid of the freaking people that are pro-English. There's no good and true Americans other than the ones that hate the British. Like, that sounds like something that I could see Ben Franklin writing. Or, you know, maybe not. Maybe Sam Adams. He was a little bit more of like a little feistier, little feistier. Yeah. Still not someone, not the uh, black Panther, not the black Panther <laughs> and not someone from last century. Wow. Okay. So Fritz sent Alice back home on a ship from Brazil. And then while in Brazil, he went to the German consulate and offered of up his services as of a course. spy and saboteur. Of course. <laughs> 
So he started hanging around the docks in disguise. And it's at this point in his life that our boy Fritz began to live under many different aliases. Okay. These included, and there's a list here. Okay. Feel free to stop me at any time. Okay. These included Frederick Barron, Colonel Bezin. <laughs> Colonel first name or Colonel as in rank? It's just Colonel Bezin. Okay. Spelled as in Colonel the rank. Yeah. F. Crabs. <laughs> it's just F period Crabs with two Bs. Colonel Marquis Duquesne. Okay, that's a rank. That's got to be a rank. Fred Bouquet with a B instead of a D. Okay. J.Q. Farn. Berthold Zabo. No, that's a fake. That's not a name. <laughs> that's not even like yes, a It ma- is a fake name. No, okay, it's a fake name, but it's not <laughs> even a name. That's a bunch of random syllables that you threw together that have that, that just. Oh. No, it's in the official. It's in the official documents. Berthold Zazbo. Zabo. How do you how do you spell that? S Z A B O. Okay, the first Zabo. The first, the first name. Berthold. B E R T H O L D. All right, Berthold. Berthold Zabo. Well, I know what my next child's going to be named. Berthold Zabo. Oh. How do you say that with a straight face to somebody? If someone's like, what's your name? Berthold. <laughs> Berthold Zap. Yeah, that's my name. That's my name. Well, we're not done with names. No. <laughs> <laughs> the next one on the list is Von Gutard. Von Gutard. Vam Dam. <laughs> <laughs> like John Claude? Like, uh, kind but of? But not Van. It's Vam Dam. <laughs> Okay. V-A-M-D-A-M. Okay. The next one is Fritters. <laughs> just Fritters. It's just Fritters. fritters. Like, like one word, like Prince or Beyonce, just Fritters. Just Fritters. Like, oh, wow. Uh, also went by Worthy and also Jim. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Some people knew Don't, him as the handsome, the handsomest man in Europe, but he's in Brazil. Okay. <laughs> but here, as his first assignment, while working on the docks, Fritz morphed into a frumpy and feeble middle-aged botanist from the Netherlands who walked kind of hunched over in a stoop oh. and wore very thick, unflattering glasses. Okay, it's a full body transformation. Full it's... body transformation. Okay. And while being this botanist, he called himself Frederick Fredericks. Frederick Fredericks. Nice. Real, again, a ri- that sounds like one that like he got caught in the lies. Like, what's your name? Frederick. <laughs> what's your last name? Fredericks. <laughs> Your name is Frederick Fredericks. <laughs> yep. Yes. That's my name. That's my totally real 100% name. What's your middle name? You wouldn't believe me. Oh, uh, okay. So living as Fredericks, Fritz hung out in bars with drunk English sailors and offered them bribes to carry rare orchid bulbs to his friends and relatives who lived abroad. So he'd be like, hey, if I pay you money, would you take this bag of orchids, orchid bulbs, to my friends? Mm. 
And they're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. However, the packages contained explosives. Oh, okay. And Fritz would eventually claim to have sunk 22 ships and started over 100 dock fires during this time. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I just woke up with this box of flowers and it's ticking for some reason. I don't it's know what weird. that's about. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Most famously, Fritz would claim responsibility for the destruction of the HMS Hampshire. Not like the new one. It's named after the old one. Okay, the, the OG Ham- Hampshire. 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 Mm-hmm which was a British ship that sank west of the Orkney Islands in northern Scotland. This happened in 1916, and it killed more than 600 men aboard. Gosh, he really hates the British. In his biography uh, by Clement Wood, written in 1932, Fritz's 100% made-up account of how he infiltrated the Hampshire, posing as a young Russian count named Boris Zakrevsky... <laughs> Now I think now I'm I'm done with all the fake names now. Okay. Uh, but uh, he he got on there posing as a, as Boris Zakrevsky, and then signaled a German U-boat to take the ship down. That's not what happened. People don't actually think he's responsible for the sinking of the ship, but okay. he claims responsibility. Got it. Yeah, that was one of mine. That was one of mine. I was. Oh there. yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard of the Lusitania? I was there. I was there. Well, then how are you here now? Telling them, oh, just, uh, I was just, I had a up. boat yeah. in my pocket. Uh huh. In February of 1916, Fritz packed all the film from his failed motion picture project into a trunk and registered it as cargo aboard the SS Tennyson, which was a British ship headed for New York. So at this point, he's, he's no longer in Brazil. He's kind of hopping all around to lots of different docks. Because obviously, if he's pulling the same stunt at the same port, people are going to be, wait a minute. Yeah. Frederick, Frederick, something's weird about you. You look just like this guy, Fritters, I used to know. <laughs> okay, so he packed all the film up. Film is very flammable. That's it's a very incredibly flammable. flammable. Yeah. And then he went about engineering the ship's destru- destruction. Okay. Does he use the film? Well, there might not have been any film in that trunk. It might have been filled with explosives. Okay. Or maybe the explosives were in the six boxes that he labeled as minerals, which Fritz also sashed aboard the Tennyson. Minerals. You could just put anything on anything this 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 time in history. You just load it, load it up. It's cargo. Just put it in the back. It's a box that says things. Yep. But something on the ship exploded as it approached the equator. Ooh. Three sailors were killed in the fire. And before long... A clerk who claimed to be a co-conspirator with Fritz was captured by British intelligence and gave up Fritz's name. All of them? Not all of them, but he gave up Fritz's name. And he also led authorities to the safety deposit box and the envelope full of money, which is waiting for Piet Nakud, which, well, that's another one of his names. Okay, sweet. (laughs) I was lying. I think I knew this one was still there, but I'm fairly certain I'm done now. Got it. Nyakud is the phonetic spelling of Duquesne spelled backwards. Okay. So there you go. Fritz was wanted for murder by the British. But before long, on April 27th, word came to the New York Times that Fritz himself had been murdered. Oh, no. He was traveling through the Bolivian frontier when his party was raided by hostile Indians. Those are the only kind of Indians uh, apparently like in, in in news stuff like this back then. But they're not American Indians. 
they're Bolivian. Mm. Two weeks after that, a second dispatch reached the Times, and it reported that he was, in fact, alive. Though he was badly wounded, he'd heroically fought off the vicious Bolivian raiders and escaped. Mm. Okay, so he's out there somewhere. But the truth was, of course, there were no Bolivian raiders. There no. was no attack. No. Fritz faked his own death. Yeah. And then regretted the decision and miraculously resurrected himself. And this being dead thing isn't really working out. Hey, everybody, I'm, I'm not dead. <laughs> yeah, okay. Why is there not great national mourning right now? Yeah. Police eventually discovered that the first report from Buenos Aires, which was the one telling the New York Times of his death, had been filed by someone named Frederick Fredericks. <laughs> Sir, can you describe the victim? Uh, yeah. Uh, he looks like that guy in that picture over there. Sir, that's a mirror. Oh. Uh... <laughs> Incredibly oh. handsome, very mm-hmm. smart. Probably yep. all the ladies love him. Yep, you know. That guy. Yep. You'd know him if you saw him. So all of this together meant that by the beginning of 1917, Fritz was a suspected murderer, a fugitive, a fake film producer, a formerly dead botanist, and likely still a German spy. Can't forget about Fritters. Never. That summer of 1917, he resurfaced in Washington, D.C., and was very quietly moving around under his own name, desperately trying to latch on to making some sort of a living. Okay. He connected with a friend, and this friend tried to help even set him up with some government jobs. The government would hire him? (laughs) No, the government's employed a lot of bad people, so that doesn't actually surprise me. It didn't work out. Nothing was working. And so Fritz tried his best to get back onto the lecture circuit, you know, something that he's done a couple times now, been mildly successful at. Here's how I defrauded the Firestone (laughs) company, or uh, is it Midyear? The Goodyear, the Goodyear Tire Company of $80,000. <laughs> but the problem for Fritz is no one cared about the animals anymore, the anim- which has oh, always been his yeah. specialty. It's been African animals and then basically Brazilian Amazonian animals. Mm-hmm. But no one cares. No. All that old materials irrelevant because the public is now only interested in hearing allied war stories yep. from all the heroes who went off to battle. He's like, you see, the problem with the English are... (laughs) (laughs) So at this time, Fritz transformed himself into Captain Claude Stoughton. (laughs) You lied to me again. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Claude Stoughton is a debonair military man who had, according to his claims, and I quote, perhaps seen more of the war than any man at present before the public. Because you see, Captain Claude Stoughton had been bayoneted three times. He'd been gassed four times and struck once with a hook. Mm. Captain Stoughton's career took off. Hey, you look like this guy that I used to... Like, again, I don't know... Well, okay, actually... Do you have a brother named Bam Dam? It's 1917, so I guess people aren't... Like, you know, your face isn't as, like, you know, plastered Uh everywhere as it... Okay, yeah, never mind. Yeah, cool. Continue. All of his talks made pretty decent money. His tales of heroism earned him respect. Ladies found him alluring. He's married and, and a liar. 
Yeah, he's married, but she's never mentioned again. So he dropped her. Hmm. Well, you know, spies can't have, can't be married. No, you can't have any attachments. Nope. Interesting people invited him to parties. Claude was pushing his, well, Fritz was pushing his way back into society. Mm. His invented persona had so much magnetism and such excitement and possibility about himself that he began deploying this alter ego in a wide variety of personal appearances. He seemed willing to promote any cause if it kept the admiration and affection flowing. This included making speeches to pull in donations for the Red for the Red Cross and for Liberty Bonds. Captain Stoughton would appear uniformed in uniform before crowds. This one, once Stole. again, another uniform given to him that he did not stolen valor. Great, <laughs> but he would appear before crowds of devoted American patriots and belt out slogans like "We must have dollars as well as men in the fight for freedom." Okay. And weirdly, and this is this is part of the story that makes absolutely no sense um, for what the tale has said so far, is that this Black Panther, whose contempt for England had grown so much, he'd gone to work blowing up ships for the Germans, was now raising money for the Allies. Well, I think at this point, his own self, sense of self, like uh, survival, is taking over. A lot of it. Um, and so you lose a lot of your principles when you're just trying to survive. I'm glad he's losing this principle of hating the allies. <laughs> uh, unless he's a double agent. Well, you never know. Oh, wow. One of his biographers, he, there are a number of people who wrote biographies about him, but this mm. is a guy by the name of Art Ronnie. He wrote, it's difficult to explain the paradox of Fritz Duquesne at this time. Mm-hmm. It's an almost preposterous understatement, but also ultimately as truthful and illuminating as one can be. There's a cynical way to read his activities in New York, that he was up to no good, that he was running some diabolical con that would eventually throw the world he'd infiltrated to chaos, which is typical for anything he did. But it's also possible that Duquesne just simply liked the attention, the performance. And maybe he liked it so much that he wouldn't even allow his deepest and most sinister principles to break him out of character because his character's life was so much more gratifying than the remnants of his own. And I think that's pretty true. No, that's true. (laughs) At this point, he had stopped caring about anything except for his own glorification. The Black Panther was an adrenaline junkie and a nihilist. He was eventually arrested in New York on December 8th, 1917. Was waiting for that. Yep. (sighs) He was charged with insurance fraud for the film that he placed insurance on and never did anything with. He got caponed? He got Capone. Well, Capone was tax fraud, but still, <laughs> that's almost insulting. Like, I, if I broke all those laws and then you grab me on that, like, technicality thing, that's the least. Of, I mean, tech, it's, a, it's, it's a criminal offense, but he, the man blew up ships and killed people. Well, it's important to point out that this isn't even necessarily all because of that first insurance claim he made. While he was in South America, Fritz had apparently agreed to produce educational movies for the Argentine Board of Education. He bought another $24,000 worth of film on his return to New York. Okay, so this is a total of (laughs) $104,000 spent on film. He insured this film, stashed it in a Brooklyn warehouse, and then set off an explosion that burned the building down. 
Mm. So yeah, that's just good old insurance fraud. Like that's straightforward oh, straight insurance up. fraud. Yeah. Fritz was held in a city jail for months because the fraud charges kind of knotted all together to become very complicated legal cases because you have international things going on, not just American. The British were haggling for his extradition for the explosion aboard the Tennyson. Yeah, they want a piece of that. So Fritz started behaving erratically. His appearance changed. The alluring glint in his eyes turned into something wilder. Oh, okay. He's going to plea insanity. So did his hair become wilder. He started blathering nonsense. Of course, this transformation was met with a whole bunch of skepticism. In May of 1918, a judge ordered a three-person lunacy commission to assess his condition and issue a lunacy report. Duquesne appeared at the commission's hearing, ranting and unhinged, shouting orders to the doctors who'd come to testify as if he were commanding them in battle. So the lunacy commission sent him to a state mental hospital in Beacon, New York, put him alongside a man who whistled constantly because he believed he was a train, and another man who said that he was not Napoleon, but he was in fact Napoleon's tomb. Napoleon was in, <laughs> was inside him. Yes. Okay. Dead Napoleon is inside one dude. The other guy who's basically rooming is a train. Fritz believes he's a train and is constantly whistling. Talk about worst roommate ever. <laughs> See, and that's I would rather have jail than a, than a mental hospital. However, soon, so his mind has gone, soon his body stopped working as well. Okay. One day in court, he collapsed and was suddenly paralyzed from the waist down. Like for realsies, paralyzed from the waist down? Well, the government, the courts were even more cynical about it all. But doctors stuck pins in his legs and under his toenails, basically torturing him to prove that he was, you know, false. Mm. But he never once wriggled or winced. So Fritz Duquesne was transferred to Bellevue Hospital on a stretcher, and he was installed in the very last bed of a very long and secure ward of the hospital. So they still didn't fully trust him. Yeah. But they're like, okay, I mean, we literally tortured you and you didn't do anything. So, okay. He had a view of First Avenue through a window that had three iron bars on on, across it, because once again, they don't trust him. He slept with his blanket over his face and every day asked to be set beside the window in a wheelchair so he could watch the birds. The nurses adored him and would lift his slack body wherever it needed to go. He got lighter and lighter as time went on. Mm. He read the newspaper with a pair of pinhole glasses he made out of cardboard. The birds started eating out of his hand. He wasn't an old man, but he certainly seemed like one. Okay. However... Fritz had managed to acquire two small hacksaw blades and had been quietly going at the window bars day after day as he sat in his wheelchair. I knew it! I knew it! (laughs) Eventually, he cut all the way through two of the bars and just past midnight on Tuesday, May 22nd of 1919, four days before he would have been extradited to England, he squeezed out. He'd been faking paralysis for seven months wow that's he, commitment that's commitment. that's the real deal that's total commitment he claimed to have been vigorously massaging his legs to keep his muscles conditioned during his twice daily visits to the bathroom mm. so 
he gets to go to the bathroom twice a day and that's the only time he gets to do anything with his legs. So yeah, his legs atrophied, his body, all the muscles around his body atrophied, which is why he kept getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Wow. Sheer commitment. Imagine like trying, like going that long without walking and then trying to again, Uh like. Well, get this. So he had to wiggle through the window. Mm -hmm. Right after that, he had to leap six feet onto the roof of a neighboring house. Ooh, yeah. So that's not a small amount, like, yeah. Then he had to climb a brick wall that was about six feet high. And then behind that, he had to climb an iron fence that had menacing spikes on top. And that fence was about eight feet high. Wow. After he'd done all of that, he lurched down 27th Street toward the Hudson River, hopped a ferry to Hoboken, New Jersey, and disappeared. You think his upper body strength though could have gotten like pretty like maybe, but yeah. he's but he wasn't out in there working out. That would have been suspicious. Like he couldn't have been doing laps in that wheelchair because they'd be yeah. like, "What is he doing?" He had to sell the role, mm. and he did. Okay, and so he just disappeared. He disappeared into Hoboken, New Jersey. It was a classic Black Panther performance. Like this is exactly why this is the whole thing that he took. Like when he took on that name, this was the idea behind it. He, he waited very patiently until he mostly receded into the background. He wasn't really on the forefront of anybody's mind. And then he, he made his attack or he pounced or, you know, whatever. A month later, Fritz had a letter, a letter delivered to a friend in New York that laid out his whole dramatic escape. Now, according to this telling, the whole operation involved two swashbuckling accomplices and a foreign sports car zooming away in the night. I never saw Andy Dufresne <laughs> again after, <laughs> after he escaped from Shawshank. Wow. Okay. That's not true, right? Like he just said that. That's no, what it's absolutely not at all true. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of like a press release because Fritz wanted his friend to get the story published in, and I quote, as many papers as possible and keep the clippings. Dude, yeah, this guy is a narcissist. Like, he's just, <laughs> he is a crazy guy. Like, he is. Oh, he's, he's insane. Yeah. The Black Panther reappeared briefly after his hospital escape, posing as a New York City vaudeville critic named Major Fred Craven. How do you just <laughs> get off the grid? <laughs> can't help he loves he loves being in the spotlight he's got to be he needs that adoration from people okay how old is he now he is at this point i think he's like early 40s late 30s early 40s wow but he then disappeared after being major fred craven didn't go Mm -hmm. on that great and then he he did disappear until 21 years later okay in 1941 where was he in 1941 andy well 1941 After two years of FBI surveillance, they spent time tailing fits on the streets of Manhattan, New York, and they orchestrated meetings between him and a double agent in a bugged office in Times Square. The government arrested him as the leader of a 33-person Nazi spy syndicate. He's a secret Nazi! Andy! (laughs) See, when I... When I sh- when I tell stories, <laughs> if the person or subject that I talk about is a bad person, it's not a secret. It's not a secret. <laughs> I don't think this has been super secretive. You make me like these people and then be like, hey, he's a Nazi. 
hey, he's a cannibal. Hey, he's X, Y, Z. It's always a secret Nazi with you, man. <laughs> At least John Peters is a freaking soul patch of a dude. The entire life story. Like he's. An... Wow. <sighs> this doesn't surprise me. No, it shouldn't. Black Panther's a Nazi. Um... And the so-called Duquesne spy ring. It included a thuggish Gestapo operative trying to create strikes among American workers. It included an aging male librarian, a seductive figure skater named Lily Barbara Carola Stein. The FBI accused Fritz of coordinating the syndicate's communications with Germany. He sent the Third Reich technical information about military gas masks, fuel tanks, airplanes, and munitions. And he plotted to start fires i.e. explosions, at American industrial sites. Prosecutors, when he went to trial, produced all of his communiques as evidence because the Black Panther had stamped each one of them with an inky black attacking cat. J. Edgar Hoover bragged that the operation that led to Fritz's arrest was the most ambitious and well-executed spy roundup in American history, and it produced what is still considered the nation's largest espionage case. Hmm. His FBI file described him this way. Excellent talker with captivating personality. Unstoppable liar. Sexual pervert. (laughs) And that's the story of Fritz Duquesne, the real-life Black Panther. Fritters. Good old Fritters. Good old Fritters. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) So now you see why I had to tell the stories of all of these people. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to talk about hippo meat. That's all I set out to do. And then there were secret Nazis. Come on now. I still support the hippo meat thing. Like oh, 100%. I, I, yeah. Just, I want that to be known. That needs to, that needs to be a thing. <sighs> Feels good to finally get that off my chest. Like I've been holding on to this for three months. Yep. Wow. So at the end of the day, the Black Panther's a Nazi. Um, I don't quite know what to say. Like, <laughs> I do want to say that I don't take pleasure. Well, can't okay, take it back. I don't seek out stories of secret Nazis. You However, this, when I find this. them, I will tell them. <laughs> okay, lovely. One of these days, I'm going to find a secret Nazi story that you don't know. I hope you do. I'm going to drop it on you. These are the story. I love these sorts of stories. Uh, obviously. Well, wow. Uh, that's been a lovely, lovely three-part series. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So that's um, that's my story about hippo meat. Hippo meat. And uh, I hope, I hope, I know you enjoyed it. I did. I definitely enjoyed it. Listeners, I'm sure your ears were also blessed. Wow. Yeah. But no, so no point in sitting around blathering here at the end. I'm just gonna get no, off this thing. No. We like, gonna, we gonna leave like, it. We gonna leave it. That's the best. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> Well, if you were as shocked as I was, email us at the midnight narwhal pod at gmail.com. Midnight narwhal pod at gmail.com. No the. Okay. Sorry. We have five, six different emails. No, we have three. Okay. Wildfire gang. Fire with a Y. That's fire with a Y. Yeah. At at gmail.com and discount shark week at Mm gmail.com. So you have options. You're welcome. We're here for you. And yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Also, don't be a secret Nazi. Don't be a secret Nazi. Yeah, that's bad. But if you are, I will tell your story. Email us. Email us. Okay, bye. All right, bye.
I'm going to look up what hippo tastes like. Because I am curious. Water pick. It has a mild flavor with gamey undertones. Okay. It can be best compared to beef. Hey, look at that. My goodness. But is better and more flavorful than regular cow meats. Hippo meat is cooked in the same way as lamb or beef, but is very hard to find, especially in the mainstream market. I don't know why this. We've missed out. We have missed out. 